0: Pastor Chris shared a little bit in terms of giving, and I want us to think about why we give, you know, not just, it's really going to be a lot of what we talk about today, not just what we do, but why we do what we do. Um, How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you kiss your spouse? Raise your hand. Go ahead and just kiss them if you're you're within a lip distance. Go ahead. Not just what you do, but why. Easy, Easy, Dave, Lauren, that's enough. Just don't have to go so far. Uh, but why we do what we do it's really important so our focus in giving is so that we can do things like tonight huge event gonna be on campus hope you'll all be here mechanical bull tonight who how many mechanical bull riders are in the house I thought there'd be a few more all right so we'll see how all that goes but uh, we're gonna have a great time this evening Community knows you know who we are because of our community events and our partnership in so many directions, and uh, really delighted to be able to be a part of that expression and Part of what we want to do is really focus in on developing the next generation. And uh, we discover next generation leaders. You know, if you go look in the nursery today, you will see next generation leaders that will one day make an impact. If we could only go back in time and see the previous generation nursery, wouldn't that be interesting to see that? So uh, here we go. We're going to go back in time and see a previous generation leader in the nursery. And first picture up is, look at that. Who is that? Anybody have a guess? If you're in first service, you're not allowed to guess. That is, drum roll please, Pat Watkins. Such a sweet girl back in the day in the nursery and then there, you know, it's crazy Larry behind her. Uh, So then we have another one that is a a baby picture that you'll see yesterday's nursery later. (laughs) I know what you're thinking. That is one ugly baby, but no one's allowed to say that. Uh, actually, we did a little digital enhancement a few years ago, teasing Josh about what his baby would look like after he got married. But that is Josh, and here's their beautiful family, Josh and Andrea Sharp, part of our community group leadership um, team, and so so thankful for them. And part of what we're doing in looking at focusing in on the all-in for the next gen is to recognize the very important task we have of raising up next generation leaders. How many of you know a lot of people don't think about anything beyond their own generation? And especially in the church world, that's really a problem. Like we're given to the things we want, the things that we like, and we pay no attention to what the next generation might want or what the next generation might like. Music, atmosphere, whatever that may be. um, that, That all needs to be in a constant state of transition and evaluation to be most effective at what God's called us to do. So we want to constantly devote ourselves to that. Part of preparation for Next Gym is our nursery area. You know, you really do have to have a building if you're going to gather together. And so the nursery area is a must for us behind the um, coffee bar area out here. And we're making progress to our first stage of development. I think we announced $46,000 had come in for that a few weeks back. And so here's the next chart. And we are at... 56680. So come on, let's just celebrate God's provision. $10,000 has come to help us in moving toward that. Our first goal will be the uh, HVAC. And so we're almost halfway there. And uh, I believe God will provide. Will you pray? Will you believe? Will you agree? And uh, let's just continue to ask God for wisdom as we walk all of that out. So today is a fifth Sunday service. And what that means um, we kind of shake it up a bit. Like, how many of you need a little more worship? You didn't get your worship all done, right? But well, we just kind of get started on a fifth Sunday focus, and then we go into really taking a look at what um, the emphasis is, and then we're going to worship into that. And so we, we get given to the format. You know, every church I've ever gone to speak in, they kind of do the same thing, three or four songs, and then a worship, or, and then a message, and then we're out. Uh, And so that's all great, but we just every once in a while want to try and step back and evaluate again Not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it How powerful would it be if the church was actually equipped to assign a focus to their worship And break through into the next dimension And so that's our goal on a fifth Sunday to uh, really begin to maneuver and, and transition that and help everybody get it So pass your books down If you would, take out your note cards if you've not already done that. And I want to make one more announcement as we celebrate. We're very happy for our Destiny Christian School Junior High and Varsity cheerleading squads who took state yesterday. So we've got a picture of the squad, both those squads together. Congratulations. And I see Haley here. Haley, raise your hand. Senior this year, and your squad took state. I wasn't here that Sunday after, but congratulations to you. Very happy for you. Excited. Excellent. And that squad is, tell us your school. Okay, that's what I thought, but you know how bad it would be if I said, congratulations to the Midwest City Bombers, right? Carl Albert. So uh, really awesome, awesome, awesome. That's like, again, state, right? You guys won state last year? All right. So, I'll move right along. Um, take your note cards and, and uh, take a look. We're going to press in and understand a little more um, from Jesus and the Bible today. And you'll see at the top of your note card is the expression of our core values in sentence form. Here's, here's the bottom line, guys. We are not trying to merely gather crowds of people so that we can successfully have church. Our goal is to make disciples. How many of you know we are called to make disciples? We're not called to have church. We're called to make disciples. Jesus didn't die so we could merely go to church. Jesus died so that we could enter in to understand his broken body, his shed blood. Today, we're going to all receive communion together. Everybody that wants to will do it as a family today as part of our fifth service focus uh, later on as we move into worship. But he didn't die so we could merely go to church, he died so we could truly make disciples. And that's exactly uh, what we want to focus in and do. So we've kind of taken what we feel like are five core values and put them into this sentence form. And I wanna invite you, they're gonna come up on the screen, you see them on your card. Will you please say this out loud and let's ask God to really deepen this in our hearts and in our lives. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. Would you just put your hand on your heart? Lord, make it more than just words. Help us today to understand a little more of the what uh, and the, the why and the combination of the reasoning behind all of the expressions of our worship, the expression of our lives. Deepen us, I pray, Lord, in our faith and our relationship (laughs) with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So we looked at this last week in the book of Malachi. I'm really excited about having finished 39 books. We have uh, gone through and had 39 weeks to look at where Jesus is revealed in each of the Old Testament books a little bit of history and context in each one of those books. So ultimately, when you decide later that you want to go back and read a book of the Bible, that resource is on our website, destinychristian.com. And you can take, you know, 30, 40 minutes and listen to the history and context of each book. I'll provide that again today, understanding going into the book of Matthew. Um, but it'll just help you to be better students of the word. Why is that important? Because we're not just trying to get you to come to church, we're trying to get you to engage in God's word and have a relationship with God yourself. You need to be mighty men and women of God. He has called you to be mighty men and women of God, not faithful church attenders, mighty men and women of God. We don't come together and and try and play church or try and do church. We gather as the church, and we have something to release. In our song today, we're going to release something. How many of you are ready to do more than just sing a song and read the words off the screen, but really let your words release something of the atmosphere God wants us to release over our nation? Come on, there's a time of political climate right now where we need the church to rise up and be who God's called the church to be. And so that's what we want to do today. Uh, In the book of Malachi, what we saw were the uh, Jewish people that were involved in the empty shell of religion. They were involved in expressions that were meaningless. God was exasperated. God was exhausted with the expression of what they were bringing because they were not doing it heart and soul. They had actions set into motion that had little meaning. And so we don't want to be those people, do we? We want to move beyond that and understand why we're doing what we're doing in the expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that in terms of the book of Malachi. And now here we are 400 years later as we enter in to an era and a testament of Christ where Jesus is about to come into the earth as the Messiah. So recognize some major things happened in that 400 years that we as Protestants would call 400 years of silence from God. Um, if you know what the apocryphal books are, some of those were uh, came from that particular era and they didn't. pass the test of canonicity, and if you're interested in what I'm talking about, go to the blog and read that. I'm not here to give you a history lesson as much as I want to provide context so that you can be uh, better students of the Word. So this 400-year progression, we went from Persian dominance in the book of Malachi to Roman dominance in the book of Matthew. Jesus was born. The Messiah came. The New Testament church discovered itself, literally, in that posture, in that place of world events of Roman dominance. And that's an important thing for us to understand and recognize, but remember, the people in Malachi, uh, and I'm gonna give you a couple of things I said last week so that you understand the imperatives here with this particular uh, conversation we're having, and I believe God wants to have with us. First, I said, in Malachi, God's people were in crisis and they did not even realize they were in crisis. Like God's people were having a spiritual crisis and they didn't even realize they were having a spiritual crisis. How many of you believe that it's possible that we could be in the church today feeling like we're doing kind of what we're supposed to be doing but actually having a spiritual crisis? How many of you believe that if the church will become who the church has been called by God to become, the nation will begin to turn around and will stop bowing to political figures as if they're the hero? I want to say Jesus is the hero. Come on, Jesus is the Savior. And so I read this verse of Scripture that actually speaks of the church that is to come. So this was the church of God's people in the Old Testament, and they were kind of an empty shell expression, not really having passion connected to God's desires, what they were doing. Revelation 3.1 says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation for, you got a lot of activity going on, but you're not really walking in the power of the Spirit. Today, I want us to walk in the power of the Spirit. I want us to take a step forward in knowing what it is to walk in the power of the Spirit, to break free in some areas of our lives. Come on, I, I want us to break into greater places of freedom, not just so we can be free, but so other people can experience that freedom and we can release something in the earth. That's the call of God and the mandate to the church of our generation. That was the mandate to the church then, but they were disconnected from God's desire. And then we see in Revelation 3 the same expression, and I said this last week, it's it's your first blank, it's easy to confuse routine for commitment. Don't confuse routine for commitment. Just because you routinely do something doesn't mean you understand the depth of commitment behind why you're doing what you're doing. God doesn't want us just to do a bunch of religious stuff. And I want to expose this. This is really important, and I want to take some time with it today and help you get it and figure out kind of a perspective of... of, a basis and an origin from which everything should really come. Next week I'll take a little more time to explain the comparison of the four gospels, and it's a really interesting uh, comparison when we see this in scripture. But understand this, the book of Matthew was written primarily to the Jews, okay? Um, That's important, and we see in the beginning of of the book of Matthew this genealogy, this lineage layout. Have you seen that before? And -and so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so. And like, what do we do as Christians? We get on pass that, right? That's the boring stuff. Let me explain something to you. Jewish people don't bypass the lineage because the most important thing to the Jewish people was the understanding that God had chosen a person named Abraham through which the promise of the Messiah was going to come. Therefore, God was preserving the bloodline, and the bloodline was vitally important to the Jewish people as they observed this bloodline progression. So that's why this letter written to the Jewish people started with that lineage and that expression of the bloodline bloodline in the book of Matthew so recognize that understand that the most frequently used phrase in Matthew's gospel write it in your blank so that you remember this it was fulfilled it was fulfilled and Matthew more than any of the other Gospels references the fulfillment of prophecy when Jesus came and the reason it was referencing so much of the Old Testament prophecies that were spoken about Jesus coming is because it was again trying to convince the Jews that their long-awaited Messiah had finally arrived, their King had come. So Matthew reveals Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. That is exactly what we see in this entire book, and each Gospel reveals a different perspective of Christ. So. Here we see religious shell, and this is where I want to take a little bit of time with you to explain something. We do not try to make people religious in this church. It is not our goal to help the community be more religious. You just have to understand, and this confuses people, especially in the community when they say, oh, you're part of the religious community, Um, and I understand what they're saying, and yes, I lead a church, and we partner together in that process here in the eldership structure and so on, but you got to understand something, folks, and you need to know this about our church family, okay? The religious people are the people who crucified Jesus. The religious people are the people who rejected Christ. The religious people are the people who didn't understand the true, sincere desires of God. They were those that opposed what God was doing more than anything. Who did Jesus have more trouble with in his ministry than anybody else? The religious people. And, and I've kind of figured out as a pastor, and you know, we kind of take a radical approach to church in general, and that's a little bit of my disposition. But I figured out that if religious people aren't kind of unhappy with you from time to time, then you probably aren't a whole lot like Jesus in many ways. And I've also found that if lost people aren't drawn to you and you don't have relationships with people that are lost, and like you're like, you know, you, we kind of get religious when we say, you know, hate the world, stay away from the world. We're Is bad, you got to understand, for God so loved the world, God loves the world. God. I'm not saying go in and do all the stuff. I'm saying God loves the world. Let's be devoted to transforming lives by loving people and expressing God's love. So we're not here to try and make you more religious. We're, trying, we're here to try and bring you into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's the goal of why we are here. That's the goal of our existence as a family. We want to grow in that relationship with the Lord. Here's what I've learned about religion. Religion kind of takes the wrong idea that God's not exactly happy with you and uses that idea to get you to act better and to not be so bad. And I first want to just tell you God absolutely adores you, and when you give your life to Christ, if you have prayed and received Christ and you follow Christ, then you have to understand it's through Christ that you've now found your favor with God. Going to church this morning didn't make God love you anymore. Okay, God loves you all the way because of Jesus. You didn't do anything enough to get yourself there. You can't do anything enough to make him love you any less. So you have to understand, number one, religion does not like that because it doesn't give us control to manipulate people if if everybody feels like they're really in God's grace. Because did you hear what I said? And, And I know it's a little uncomfortable for pastors and leaders to say such a thing, but God does not love you anymore because you came to church. I mean, you do understand what I'm saying. Because what I'm doing is alleviating you from a manipulative pressure that coming to church helps me be loved more by God. Listen, you should not forsake the assembling and the gathering together as a church, but it's not because of that. It's because in this place, this is where giants are more readily defeated. In this place, this is where the anointing of God begins to be released in our lives. In this place, in our worship, there's an atmosphere that God is releasing in our hearts and our lives. That's why we gather, because there's a reason and a purpose to connect with the desire of God. Now, this whole concept, I can align it to when I was the principal of our school. Like when people get into a posture of feeling like they might be in trouble with authority, they talk. Have you noticed that? Have you ever sat down with your kids and you didn't tell them what was up, but you said uh, we need to have a talk, and and like there, okay, um, what you know, what's this? They just immediately go, and so I figured this out as the principal. Uh, I I get bored easily, and um, and I had an exploding pin. And have you ever had an exploding pin? Have you ever seen one of those? Like they're loud, they're really loud. I was shocked how loud the exploding pin was. You put the cap in, you take the cap, uh, the cap like a blow up cap, and put the pin cap on, and you know, take it off, and bang. And, uh, and so I went, when I was the principal, I stood in the hallway, and just at random, I selected students. And I said, hey, um, I've been looking for you. That was a lie. I want you to come in my office and sit down. And we would sit down at my desk, and I would slide a piece of paper over in front of them. And I would say, uh, now we've intercepted a letter that has been written and is full of obscenities and inappropriate language, and we suspect that you have actually had a hand in writing this particular letter. And that was a lie. I don't want the kids to lie, but I was taking what we'll call principal privilege. And, uh, and I said, what we want to do is just do a real basic handwriting analysis to verify. Because at this point, they're saying, no, no, I didn't do it. I don't know what's up about. It. I did You know, blah, 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 blah. Loose lift. And, and so there we go. And the whole thing. And so I say, what we're going to do is just a basic handwriting analysis. I want you to write your name. And I want you just to write on there, I didn't do this. And, and what are they like, for sure, ready, okay, where's, hand me the pen. And so like adrenaline is up, nerves are high, and, and they would grab the pen, and as soon as they take the cap off, it would blow up in their hand, and they would like, you know, ah! And, and uh, I, mean, I just have to tell you, my day would go better when I would do something <laughs> Uh, like that and but but the interesting thing is when i would get those kids in the office and i would start to have the conversation there were actually times the kids would tell me other stuff they had done and they would like, they thought they were in trouble for, you know, leaving a mess in the bathroom, and I know the the teacher came in right after I walked out, and I should have cleaned it up, but I, did. I mean, I, so I would start learning of, you know, things, because they just talk, 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 And how many of you know, when we get in that sense, what I'm driving at here is when we get in that sense of around maybe religious authority, then we many times start talking, talk, 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 and we say things we don't even really mean. Religion produces these empty expressions. How many of you said something you didn't mean before? Can I just see your hand? I, I was uh, at a, a golf course recently just hitting range balls, and a guy came out, and he was in one of those carts that goes out and picks up the balls, and it has this metal cage around it so that he doesn't get hit. And, uh, and I'm, I'm on the end, and he's there, and he said, he said, hey man, how's it going? I said, yeah, okay, good. And, uh, and he said, 100 bucks if you can hit me three times today. And I was like, I laughed, and I turned around to hit my next ball, and I realized he got in there and shut the cage and pulled out his phone. So he was now not even watching me. So I picked up a ball, and I was like as close to here as the front row, and I threw that golf ball as hard as I could and hit two inches from his face right into that cage. And I mean, it echoed and bang, and he fumbled his phone, he probably wet his pants, and he looked at me, and I said, that's one. That's <laughs> I think he might have been actually driving the cart out there, uh, thinking, oh God, don't let him hit me three times, I owe him a hundred bucks. I mean, honestly, it's crazy. We can so easily say things that we don't mean, and then you bring that into a religious forum and a religious context, like the Jews in the book of Malachi, like the Jews in the book of Matthew. And so much of what was going on so lacked heart, and that's what I want you to try and understand today as we recognize God's chosen people absolutely missed their Messiah. I mean, they missed what God was doing. God was doing something. How I many you know that's pretty huge, like the Messiah came? That's a pretty big deal. And they missed it. How could they have missed it? Because everything about their lives was this empty religious expression. I love this particular text. It's in First Samuel 16, and it's an important element for all of us as we engage in this. And as you're reading the book of Matthew, hopefully you'll take some time with this this week and see this from this perspective, I want you to try and engage your heart. First Samuel 16:7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. It's an interesting phrase. Here's the whole verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Here it is. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, the world has a certain definition of power and the world has a certain definition of influence. In the church, in our world, is so disconnected from what God really is doing in the land, I I want want you to hear me, I'm going political on you, I'm gonna warn you right now. The world of our generation, the church of our generation is so disconnected from what God is doing in the land That we have bought in to the world's perspective of power and influence and our hope has now been fastened in that direction. The reason this is so important for us is because the, the Jews missed the Messiah because they were looking for a powerful, influential Messiah that was going to come and rescue God's people. And you know what they got? Instead of a person that came dressed up in the world's power, they got a humble servant who was obscure, he grew up in a business person's house, didn't have a ministry connection. I mean like nothing they expected. They were anticipating somebody could come in and overthrow the Roman government. They were looking at the Roman government saying, we need a Messiah. The church of our generation is doing the exact same thing. We're fighting according to the terms of the world, looking for power according to the terms of the world, asking for influence according to the terms of the world. But when I read the scripture, it actually says, if my people who are called by my name will Oh, wait a second. I thought this was all about prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. There's something to be released in the atmosphere of the land. You you just have to understand, the Bible actually says, and I know this is crazy because it's like, obscure and like, can God really do it? The Bible actually says the heart of the king is in the hand of God. So when you and I pray, it releases the hand of God to orchestrate more in the atmosphere of our government than anything that we could ever accomplish in the world's system of power and influence. The church. I'm personally fed up with all the Christians bowing to political candidates as if they are the hope for humanity. Humanity. And let's just be honest when it comes to politics. How many of you know you can never have all the facts? No matter what the issue is, how many know you can never have all the facts? But that doesn't stop us from having all the opinions about all the answers of all these situations and being dogmatic about it and bristling arguments. Argumentative device of the church of our nation is divided. Do you understand what I'm saying? The church in this nation is divided because of the political climate that exists. The very thing that God wants to use to transform the world is divided over fighting in our measurement of how the world can be changed. That's exactly why the Jews missed their Messiah. And that's exactly why we as Christians will miss what God wants to do in this nation if we don't wake How am I doing? So let me explain something. We are about to elect the next president of the United States of America, and I felt it was necessary for me to pastor you in that process in a brief conversation in this regard today. It aligns very beautifully with where the Jews were, missing what God was doing, thinking, focusing on power, influence according to the world system. And so I want to first communicate to you number one, that I understand this absolute significance with this. I'm not trying to minimize politics. If you're here and we had political figures in the first service and and probably political figures in this service, if you're here and you're involved in politics, hats off to you. We want to pray for you. We want to ask God to give you wisdom because you have a tough job and may God's grace be upon you to accomplish that and in no way are you second rate to anything God wants to do. God wants to use you in the political climate of our nation. No question about it. Okay, we need to understand that. Yeah, let's thank the Lord for those that have the courage to stand and fight on that level. But the bottom line of where I want us to understand is, and again, the magnitude of this decision is huge. This is, you just have to understand guys, this is not about a four or potentially eight year term, two terms. This is about a 40 or 80 year conclusion of appointments to Supreme Court justice or justices, that almost fifty years ago, um, the appointment came for a conservative majority in the Supreme Court justices. And when when decisions are being made, you, you understand decisions are being made about what traditional marriage is or biblical marriage, what that may be uh, about. Who's, who has a voice for the unborn how do we How do we manage and navigate that? I like what Ronald Reagan said um, almost everybody who's Supporting abortion has already been born. So that's kind of an interesting perspective. But, but, you know, you think about those issues, you think about our relationship with Israel. When you start trying to break this down and evaluate, and, and we evaluate all elements of this social injustice, and, and you break all of this down to try and get a picture of what God wants us to, to, to see in all of it. Folks, I, if you've got a monetary drive that is pushing you to a political conclusion or any other drive that pushes you to a political conclusion that violates biblical morality, then you're being duped, you're being played, you're being used by the enemy, and you need to break free from that. Everybody in this church ought to clap their hands to that and declare it. Let the church rise up with conviction. I want to clearly communicate, I understand this. I want to clearly communicate, I get it. The magnitude of this is hugely important. And I want to clearly communicate that so then I can say, if we're not careful, we buy into the fact that this hugely important political conclusion, decision, and all is the hope for humanity, and it's not. When God's people rise up in God's anointing, in Babylon. Yes. Do you understand? Nebuchadnezzar changed the legislation because of the miracle that came as a result of the faith of God's people. Whoever is elected, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this next, next week, is I want to ask you to stop complaining. How many of you complain? Can I just see your hands? How many of you like political something comes on and you want to throw your cereal bowl at the TV, right? I mean, that's where we all are right now. uh, And I'm not saying you, I'm saying us, we. Let's stop complaining and use the resource of our voice in a place of prayer instead of letting eruption of frustration squander the resource of our voice God has given us. Because if we're not careful, we'll do exactly like the Jews did and we'll totally miss what God is doing in the church of our generation. So that's your action point. I want to give you that action point. Use the resource of your voice for praying rather than complaining. And then I want to just challenge you as we prepare our hearts for communion today. I want us to receive communion bearing these things in mind. This is profound. As I began to read this this morning in my quiet time, I realized this was, I landed in this place in my quiet time for us. 1 Corinthians 11, this is not on your your page. You can jot it down if you want to go back and read it later. 1 Corinthians 11 says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. Okay, this is correction. Paul is writing a, a letter of correction to the church. Listen to what he says. For your meetings do more harm than good. Is it possible that some of the feelings in our society about the church are accurate? I mean, think about what Paul's saying. Your meetings are doing more harm than good. If we don't take this from the basis of the heart of God and the foundation of Scripture, then it's very plausible that we are running with a religious agenda that actually is driving a wedge, producing division that then inhibits the church from being powerful. And listen to how he says it. I have no praise your meetings are doing more harm than good in verse 18 next verse in the first place first and foremost I Hear that when you come together there are divisions among you I want to say to you Republicans And I want to say to you Democrats and I want to say to you everyone in between We can have distinction without having division And if we don't, we will have no power. I want to say it again. You might write it down. We can have distinction without having division. And if we don't, we'll have no power. So then Paul goes on in this incredible text of Scripture. And he says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink and do it in remembrance of me. So then whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord." How many think unity is important? Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Will you just stand? I'm just reading the Bible today. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So here's here's the thing. We're going to receive communion. But I want to ask, and and if you don't want to receive communion, you just stay where you are, no, no sweat but we're going to make communion available for us as a family. But I want to ask, before you receive communion, will you examine yourself before you take the bread and the cup, expressing the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, that we might be unified and that we might be powerful, yet somehow remain humble? Isn't that the trick? How many know when you become powerful and you're drinking the world system, you're not humble? But when you become powerful and you're released in the kingdom, you're submitted to the Savior, you remain humble. I think we have something to pray about. So would you just open your hearts, just close your eyes for a moment and examine yourself. Just let's take a moment and just examine ourselves. Lord, we know the enemy is so tricky. He gets us postured to feel utterly justified with attitudes that are grieving to the Holy Spirit. I know that today, Lord, you're wanting to do a deep and meaningful work in every one of our hearts and every one of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would awaken what needs to be awakened within us. And I pray, Lord, you would silence what needs to be silenced within us. And even, Lord, I pray as we receive communion that you would crucify what needs to be crucified within us. In Jesus' mighty name, we surrender to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, just with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I just want to start first and foremost and say, if you're here and you know you're not serving God, you know you're not following Christ, you know you're not right with God, I want to pray with you to make a decision to follow Christ today. If that's you, slip up your hand. I just wanna acknowledge, thank you. Thank you, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else, just quickly, you can put your hands down. Come on, would you just join with me? Let's all say this together out loud on behalf of these who lifted their hands. Say it with me, say, Lord Jesus, you came, you lived, you died, but you're alive you're the Messiah you are God who became man to reach all humanity and I need you as my Savior to deliver me from my sins and to teach me every day how to follow you be Lord of my life fill me with your spirit let your anointing rest upon me as I serve you And as I follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if that's your declaration of lordship, would you just join me? We just thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness.